We've been taking the time to go through the book of Acts, and of course, wonderful, wonderful book of the Bible. It's inspiring because it's transitional, and of course, chapter 1, Jesus goes up. Chapter 2, His Spirit comes down. Chapter 3 and on, His people go out, and they begin telling folks about Christ. The church grows. Lots of things happen. Good. There is a purging done with Ananias and Sapphira whenever they're caught lying to the Holy Ghost and stealing from, not stealing, but just not being honest about things. God purges His church. Chapter 6, there's problems because uh, the, the, the human need of the people uh, outgrow the ability of just the pastors and the apostles to take care of it. And so other people are chosen to help their pastor. And uh, that's just the two positions open in Christianity is those to pastor a church for God and helping your pastor pastor that church for God. And I thank God for those. And that's why we have those seven people that are men that are chosen to assist in the, uh, the needs of the widows. And then, of course, uh, the next chapter, one of those deacons is murdered and executed by a mob and a stoning. And, of course, we have a widow woman, we have a fatherless children, and we have a young man who watches it all and actually gives his vote named Saul of Tarshish. And because he was killed, now they were looking for others like him. And I think that's when Philip, and he is a man who is married. He has four daughters. I'm not sure if they all left, but he left his home in Jerusalem and went up into the hood of Samaria. He knew that the Jewish police would not follow him there. But while he was there, he witnessed, and the Samaritans came to know Christ. And God did a great revival during his ministry there. They got saved, they got baptized, and they were inspected by John and by Peter. And they said, you know, the Spirit of God wants us to marry. They were almost surprised that the Spirit of God saved them. And yet they forgot what Jesus said. He said, you'll be witnessing to me both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria, the most parts of the earth. They almost looked surprised that God really wants them to be saved too. But he did. And people not like them. And certainly that happened. And then God took Philip, that, uh, that faithful deacon in the church, and, and told him, leave this great revival and go out into the desert. And that's where he met the, uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, and he came to know Christ and went on his way to rejoice. And then Philip began evangelizing, which later on looks like was used of God to really help. In chapter 9, the Apostle Paul gets saved, and Saul of Tarsus meets head-on collision with Jesus Christ, and he was no match for Jesus. He came to know the Lord, and once he found out who Jesus was, he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? And that's what everybody, once you find out Jesus is your Savior, you need to ask him, what do you want me to do? Why did you give me this much light? What do you want me to do with my life? And certainly he did. He said, what do you want me to do? And the Lord did give him a job to do. And He was a chosen vessel, and he would suffer many things for the Lord's sake, but he would have to be reprogrammed. And it wasn't quickly being saved and then off into the pulpit. Matter of fact, almost everyone that God uses substantially in a public arena, there is a season of hiding. There's a season of preparation. You see that with David. David was anointed king, and then what was the next job he got to do? <laughs> Go back and watch sheep. And then when he came and thought, maybe this is the time, then no, he was chased by Saul like an animal. Joseph, the, the prized son, became uh, a man in a pit, a young man in a pit. Then he went to Potiphar's house, went from a slave to Potiphar's house as foreman, and then into a prison. We see Jesus. Uh, where would you find him when he was 18 years old? Where would you find him in his 22nd birthday? Where would you find him when he was 28 or 29? 
You'd find him in an obscure town of Nazareth in a carpenter shop working with wood that he made. <laughs> you know, he spoke the world to existence, and yet he was working with his hands and making cabinets and tables and chairs and hanging doors and framing houses and doing the things that a carpenter would do in his dad's carpenter shop in obscurity. When someone, remember when Nathaniel was called to be a, an apostle or to a disciple, and they said, where is he from? He says, from Nazareth. He said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He found him in obscurity. Elijah, after he made the proclamation to Ahab that it's not going to rain, do I say so? He walks out of the palace, and, and he says, all right, Lord, where, where do you want me to preach next? He said, I want you to go by a brook. I want you to sit by a brook, and I'll make sure you're fed in the morning at night, and and you stay there and you get water from the brook. And I'm sure he twiddled his thumbs for a long time thinking, is this what prophets do? <laughs> that was kind of fun what I did with Ahab. Now what's my next assignment? And he just sit there and just waited for breakfast and supper and spent time in solitude. And you'll see that Apostle Paul was no exception to that. In the time that he got converted and met Jesus until he probably was used of any substantial thing, it may have been years Yet some of that time back in Tarshish, some of that time was in Arabia, some of that time was in, in the, uh, the place of Damascus where he was, but he was secluded. He couldn't go back in Jerusalem. They weren't ready to receive him. But he got taught. That's why, that's why he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, when, I, when he talked about marriage to the church at Corinth, he said, look, he said, this I heard from the Lord. And I think God he gave him specific information he said, now, this is not the Lord. This I speak unto you. This is what I'm telling you based upon what I understand that God thinks. But this is, I heard this from Jesus. So Jesus gave him personal tutorage and, and solitary, solitary way. And I think sometimes we brush off the times of, of waiting. It's like, you know, what's going on? I want to do something for God. And God's not in a hurry. <laughs> he, he, he's doing a work in you while he's preparing you for a work. And uh, I've seen that in, in, in my own life to some extent. But uh, I'm thankful that for those times of, of, uh, of, of while I'm waiting for what I didn't know what God had for me. And, and you may not know what God has for you, but right now let's be patient. Let's be preparing. Let's be pure. Let's be passionate about serving God while we wait for God's next assignment for our life. And I think uh, Paul had to understand that. Chapter 10, uh, we find that Peter is introduced to the fact that, that the Jews are not exclusive, that God loves the Gentiles. And he used Cornelius, uh, Centurion, uh, the Italian band, to show him that. And, and then, of course, in the other chapters that follow, we'll find that uh, Paul is sent out of the church of Antioch. And then in chapter 15, there's a Jerusalem council where uh, the, the pastors and the, the apostles have to make decisions on what we're going to do with these, all these Gentiles getting saved and how much do we put on them uh, for the law and for the things that we understand about the Old Testament. And really, he just told them, number one, don't offend God by drinking blood or eating things that are strangled because the blood is very valuable and very important to God. The life of the body is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. The, it was the shedding of blood that brought, that brought forgiveness of sin. He says, so, so don't offend God. And then he said, don't offend your brother by eating meats that would be offensive to them. If they're, if they're brothers and sisters, and, and if, if you eating meats that, that were offered to idols, and it's just meat is meat, but if you'll be offensive, don't, don't offend them. 
Don't offend your brothers. If something hurts your brother or sister, uh, just don't do it. Try not to hurt them. Now, there, there are some situations where you just have to, as much as life in you, live peacefully with all men. And sometimes you can't do it completely. But he said, look, if you have a choice, number one, don't offend God. Number two, don't offend your brother. And then he says, abstain from fornication. Because any kind of a sexual sin is a sin against you. You'll offend yourself. Every other sin is without the body, but the sin of immorality is a sin against the body. And that counsel came out of there. And then in chapter 16, Paul picks up his second missionary journey, and he goes about. And now he is finishing in chapter 20 his third missionary journey. He has already gone. He has spent time in, 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 in probably one of the longest journeys. He spent a lot of time following up training, discipling people. And of course, there are three aspects that are very important. And when you and I are, are, are trying to serve the Lord, number one, we need to win people who are lost to Jesus. Number two, you need to disciple people who are saved to Jesus. Help them grow in the Lord. And then number three, you want to train people who are discipled. And Paul is spending a lot of time in that third arena on this third missionary journey. That first time, he was, he was winning uh, uh, Timothy and Eunice and Lois to the Lord in Lystra. But when he came back through, he discipled. In that second missionary journey, he spent a lot of time discipling those new believers. And he, he did the same thing in Philippi and, and Thessalonica and Berea. But on the third missionary journey, it looks like he spent a lot of time. He spent a whole three years teaching in the school of Tyrannus there in Ephesus. And there he was taking discipled men who needed to be trained for the gospel ministry. That would be modern day like Kyle Anderson College or Hammond Bible Institute. He spent a lot of time with them and uh, taught them in the school of Tyrannus. And now he is coming back through and he has stopped by the port of Miletus about 30 miles away. He sends word into Ephesus. All the pastors that he had trained in the city of Ephesus, a large city, a metropolitan city, he said, you guys come out to the boat. I want to talk to you. And he looks them in the eye, and he reminds them of his time he has spent with them. And he tells them, look, I kept back nothing that was profitable. If it was good for you, I gave it to you. He said, I, I showed you, and I taught you. By the way, that's the best way to reproduce yourself, show and tell. Uh, demonstrate what to do, and then teach what to do. It's teach and demonstrate, teach and demonstrate. It's very important that we don't just say, and by the way, dads, moms, be a good model while you're trying to mentor. Mentor and modeling go together. And he said, I showed you and I taught you publicly in church and Sunday school classes, and then house to house. When I spent time with you, I taught you and I helped you understand that. And now I've, I've got the gospel to everybody, Jew or Greek, it doesn't matter who it is. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem. And I don't know what's going to happen to me there, but this is what I do know. Handcuffs are in my future. Bonds, arrest, incarceration is what I'm looking forward to. The Spirit of God made it obvious. That's, what, that's in my future. And problems, afflictions, persecution. That's what, I'm, that's what I've got. He said, but none of those things move me. The reason they don't move me because I don't count my life dear to myself, but I want to finish my course with joy. We talked about that in recent days. How is it we can finish our course with joy? We can, we can number one, stabilize our calling. Make sure you're saved and make sure you're surrendered. Number two, you want to stand your biblical position doctrinally, and you want to stand it practically. Don't change. Don't change. Stay, stay true to the Bible. Don't get bored with the basics. I just like to say, just parenthetically, thank God for you coming back on a Sunday night. 
You folks that live in different places of our region, and the fact that you would come back on a Sunday evening is so beautiful, such a blessing. And I appreciate your faithfulness, you young moms and young, young, young parents, and then senior saints who have just said, you know what, this is what we do, this is what I'm going to do, and, 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 and be faithful. Thank you. Teenagers, thank you for coming back and having some interest. Senior adults, thank you for being faithful. No one's head counting here. We're not counting how many people are here on a Sunday night, but we're glad when you're here, and I think you'll be glad you're here, because faith cometh by hearing. And when we come, we exhort one another. It's one of the reasons we come to church is so that we can encourage other people by our presence. When you come, you ought to come with a note. You ought to come with a smile. You ought to come with a good word. You ought to come with a handshake. You ought to come with a positive spirit. You ought to be looking, who could I be a blessing to? Who can I, not, don't go in there and say, I hope I get blessed tonight. You've you, you got stinking thinking going on there. Don't do that. You need to say, you know, who can I go to encourage? I'm not getting through this service. I've come to, on purpose because I want to exhort every day somebody. By the way, all of us ought to keep exhorting people. But the Apostle Paul is there, and he says, and none of these things move me because you stand your biblical, you stand your biblical position. You settle your offenses. If you've got something, problem with somebody, deal with it. Forgive them. Let it go. Don't continue to brood over problems and be, to be a young man or a young lady or an older man or older lady, a grandma or a grandpa that's beat up with bitterness. Don't go to your grave like that. Don't get into your 20s like that. Don't get into your 30s like that. Don't be in your 40s or 50s or 60s being bitter and still looking through the rearview mirror of your life and, and upset by a, an op, a situation that took place. Deal with it. Settle those offenses. Sweeten your spirit. Sustain purity. Be a pure person. Stimulate passion for the Lord and certainly strengthen. Let God strengthen you through the trials of life and don't quit. These are ways we can finish with joy. Now Paul has finished that and now he's just going to go through and I've studied this. I've read it over and over again. I really, there's a couple of things I thought that might be a, give you a cute outline, but I'm just going to plow through it. Is that all right with you? We'll just plow through it. Let's pick up verse number 25. There's wonderful truth in these things. Number, number 22, 25, the Bible says, and now, behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. This is the last time I'm going to probably see you. Now, I think he may have been able to see him one more time in between his first and second imprisonment. Um, the Bible says in 2 Timothy, he, would, he had left a coat in Troas. So Troas is not too far from that region. So that very possibly he thought this was the last time he'd see them. Uh, some scholars believe that he did get to see them one more time. I don't know that, but this is um, just a thought there. Verse number 29 said, this is my last words to you. You're not going to see my face again. Wherefore, I take to you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. I wonder what Old Testament passage of Scripture he got that from. Anybody have an idea? Can you say what book it is? Anybody know? Yes, Ezekiel. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 3 and verse number 33, he said, I've made you a watchman. And you can't win everybody, but you should warn people. Really, I, I believe in soul winning, but soul winning is more soul, soul, soul warning. It's telling people, hey, turn or burn. <laughs> let's, let's get this thing straightened out. Here's the gospel. Here's an opportunity. You can deal with sin. And by the way, all of us ought to have a passion to tell folks about the Lord. And if your passion is not strong, ask God for a stronger passion. 
And then keep witnessing. Keep obeying. Even if you don't feel good about it, just keep doing it. There are people out there that want to hear the gospel. And it was beautiful. A testimony yesterday got several texts from people who led folks to Christ in the community this week. And boy, my heart was encouraged. One person, it was just amazing. They went to talk to them and they just said, I've been thinking about this every night. And they were ready to receive the Lord. You never know when you witness to someone, you might be thinking, witnessing that person. It's already been thinking about it. God's already working. You're just joining him. You're laboring together with him. But he said, look, I, I'll tell you one thing. Paul says, as he looked him in the eye, you're not going to see this mug much longer. But I want you to know, while I was with you, I am. I'm clean. My hands are clean. I've warned everybody I could come in contact with. Well, I don't know about you, but I can't say that same thing. I've walked away from a couple of people in recent days, and the Spirit of God said, John, why wouldn't you just talk to them? <laughs> like, I know. I did that. I, I was in the airport not too long ago, and I, and, and I walked right past these folks and went almost to the TSA, and the Lord had two girls standing there by themselves working their thing, and the Spirit of God says, go back. I don't know why I wouldn't. And I said, Linda, hang on a second. And I went back and talked to both of those girls, gave them a gospel track. Both of them were very receptive and said, you know what? Thank you. We, we had a little time we can read her, and I would like to do that. But just taking a gospel track, I was thinking, Brother Stan uh, Miller has uh, just had a passion to get the tracks out. Gave a thousand tracks away this week. Just a beautiful testimony. I'm grateful for that. And maybe you can't do a thousand, but you can do ten. You can do a hundred. You can do twenty. Uh, let's all work at that because you never know. You can never underestimate the power of a seed. But he said, you know what? I tried to warn everybody I could, and my hands are clean. He said, if, if, you, if you warn somebody and they don't get saved, you're clean. You did what you needed to do. That's what Ezekiel told him, and he seems like he's quoting that. Let's look at verse number 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God, because I've given you everything that I know, the Word of God. Give me the whole counsel of God. Now look at verse number 28. Take heed. Now, once just to remind you real quickly, who is he talking to in this particular story? He's talking to who? To pastors. He's talking to leaders, church leaders there in the church and the churches of Ephesus. So he says, now to you guys, take heed, therefore, unto whom? Yourselves. Take into yourselves. And by the way, everybody has to take heed to yourself. I can't be pure for you. You can't be pure for me. I can't say, hey, Linda, I tell you what, I'm a little bit tired right now. Why don't you be pure for me, Linda? No, that's my job 24-7. I got to walk with God for myself. I got to be pure for myself. And I got to play my family role for myself. Nobody else. I, I have five brothers and sisters, but I'm the son that has a special place in the life of my beautiful mom. And while she is living, I have a, I have a lifetime responsibility while I'm living to honor my dad, who's been with the Lord for 27 years, and my mom, who is still with us today, and I'm very thankful. But I have that unique. My brother Matt, or my brother Mark, or Luke, or Jan, or Mary, they have their unique role. But I have my role in that family. I have my role as their brother. I have, I have my role as, as the boys and, and, and Lydia and, and Lacey's dad. I have my role as Linda's husband. Uh, I have my role as a cousin, as an uncle. Those are roles that I, I have that responsibility. No one else can do that for me in the way that I'm supposed to do it. No one can do it for you. Your own personal purity, your own walk with God, and your family role. And by the way, you ought to decide, you know what, I, I'm not going to be perfect, but I want to be, if you're a girl, I want to be the best, uh, best daughter my dad could ever have. I want to please him. I want to love my dad. I want to love my mom. I want to be a good brother, a good sister, a good 
a good friend. That role, especially in your family, is extremely important for that. But he says, now, take heed to yourself. That's something you have to do. And then he says, take heed to the flock. Look at verse number 27, 8. To all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer of, to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. So not only take care of yourself, but then I want you to oversee the house of God, and I want you to feed the house of God or the flock of God. Their job as pastors in Sunday school teachers, you would fit in this role to some extent. Um, youth pastors would, assistant pastors would, uh, dads to some extent you could, but he's talking to pastors here. He said, look, if you're in charge of a leadership in a church family, you have two jobs, and that is to lead and to feed. And everybody else's job is to follow and to swallow. <laughs> okay? Your job is to, to oversee. It's your bishopric. It's, it's, it's the overseeing part of a pastor. As a preacher of the gospel ministry and a pastor, you usually have three roles. Number one is preaching. That's not very often I preach compared to however many hours I have in a week. But that is one of my main responsibilities. Number two is programs. That is overseeing the, the, the program of the church. Much of what happens here is not all that it ought to happen. And we seek the Lord. We want Christ to be obviously present and actively in charge. But much that happens here happens under the idea that we're, we're seeing what is most pleasing to the Lord. If we have a children's, if we have a children's uh, VBS, there's a reason for that. If we have youth conference, there's a reason for that. We feel like that that's something. We have a children and boys uh, uh, baseball, baseball season. There's a reason for that. We have the Lord's Supper or communion. There's a reason for that. Why do we do a bus ministry? Why do we do RU? Why do we have a rescue mission? Everything ought to have a reason that would be, would be, would be, that's talking about the programs of our church. And when you look at a church, you're thinking, number one, what's the biblical philosophy? Is it following the Bible truths? Number two, are the people right with God that are doing the biblical philosophy? Number three, are the programs serving the people? People take a high priority in the house of God. In some churches and some pastors, we have been guilty of making programs superseding people. But really, programs serve people. And then the facility. I love church facilities, but I think one day we're going to give an account for how much money and how much attention we gave to buildings. Buildings are simply material things that serve a program, that serve people, that serve a biblical philosophy of ministry. And those should be our priorities. First of all, if someone says, well, I don't like this, but the Bible authority says this is what needs to happen, well, they, they, have, to, they, have, they have to be number two. Because someone's opinion, uh, next to God's opinion, we ought to lose. The biblical philosophy has to be core. We have to say, okay, it doesn't matter if it hair lips the Pope. It doesn't matter if it bothers you or bothers me. If it's in the Bible, we need to do it the Bible way. And well, if people say, well, we want to have a seeker-sensitive church. We want to find out what people like, and then we want to make a church like the people like. That's not the way God wants us to do it. He wants you to find out what the Bible says, and then people follow along in that way. And then we use programs to help our people and buildings to help our programs, to help our people to honor a biblical authority there. So he tells them, I said, Luca, you're overseeing the flock of God and you are feeding the flock of God. This is a beautiful verse here, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You want to look for a verse of the Bible that talks about the deity of Christ? That's a good one. Whose blood fell at Calvary? Jesus. And the Bible says you feed 
the church of God. You feed the, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So, according to that verse, is Jesus God? Yes. His blood that came out of his body was God's blood. And he says, the God, the church of God belongs to God, and he purchased it with his own blood, which is another, another proof text that Jesus is God. Let's look at the next verse, if we can, verse 29. For I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves, heavy, strong wolves, enter in among you, not sparing the flock. They don't really care about the sheep. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things uh, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore watch and remember that for the space of three years I cease not to warn every one of you night and day with tears. With a lot of emotion, I, pro I told you, you've got to watch out. Now, he says grievous wolves. You know, up in the, in the north, they're, they're, they're called bush wolves. And they, they really are not, if they can get a pack, they can take down a deer. But a timber wolf uh, can take down a deer and maybe even a, a fairly uh, a young moose. Uh, just single-handedly. And he kind of refers, this is not just an average wolf, this is a grievous wolf. And he says some of them are going to come from the outside in. Some of you are listening, and you're on blogs, and you're on YouTubes, and you're listening to some of these grievous wolves. You may not understand that right now, but some of you, and there are folks who used to sit here, and whenever someone, it doesn't mean this church, but when they leave doctrinal purity, there's almost always a who. He said, you did run well. He told the Galatians, you guys were great. When we, were, when we started this church and when it was going on, you guys did great. Who are you listening to? Who did hinder you? In 1, Peter, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 1, the apostle Paul tells Timothy, now in the last times, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the last time, some will depart from the faith. Now, that's one of the things that just grieve me when I see people depart from the faith. Now, I'm not talking about, they're not going up cussing God or things. What they do is they depart from things that the Bible clearly teaches. And they no longer are faithful to things that I think are one time they were faithful to. And I have that in me, and you have that in you. And he says, here's what happens. He says, the Spirit speaketh expressly, in the last time some will depart from the faith. By the way, not all. Yeah, every time you find somebody who, who, a leader who cheated on his wife and didn't do well, didn't finish strong, and was immoral, I, you give me their name and I'll give you about nine other people's name that stayed faithful all the way to the end. Had a man the other day, no, it's not the other day, it's been a couple years ago. He said, ah, I'm going to go to another church. I said, okay. I said, why? He said, because ah, that church is just full of hypocrites. He said, I don't think half of your church is even saved. Well, anyway. I just said, you know, I just listened to him. He's just critical. And I said, well, so I started naming him about 10 people in our church that uh, I said, well, what do you think about this brother and his sister? He goes, no, no, no. He said, they're, they're good people. I said, well, how about this one? He goes, no, 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 no. They're, they're really nice. They're really nice people. They've really been a blessing to me and my wife. And I named, about, I don't know, about five or six people. Some of them are sitting right here this night. So what you got a problem with them? He goes, no, no, they're really good. He said, well, he said, well, not everybody's a hypocrite, you know, but there are a few of them, and there are some of them in there. The truth of the matter is that, that but you're going to have hypocrites all over in every society. By the way, I don't want to be that, do you? 
I don't want to be someone else's excuse for why they, why they, they wanted to use it. Now, I'm just telling you, you find someone else walking around with two legs and you blame them for why you do something dumb, okay? People that are good excuses are not usually good at anything else. And you're going to have to answer to God for that. And you have nothing to prove and you have one person to please and you live in an audience of one and quit going around and playing the blame game. Because I'll fail you, you'll fail me. No, no one's ever been failed by Jesus. That's why the Bible says looking into your pastor, right? No. No. It says looking into the deacons. No. It says looking unto Jesus. You keep your eyes on him and you're going to do just fine. You take your eyes off him and start looking horizontally at all the other things going on. You'll find plenty of inconsistency. And you'll find what you're looking for. <laughs> Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find it. You want to find problems, you'll find lots of them. You want to find the blessings of God. You want to find what God's doing. You stay in the, you stay in the battle, you're going to find that as well. But Paul tells him, he says, look, guys, take heed to yourself, feed and lead the flock of God, because it's valuable to God. He purchased it with his own blood. By the way, remember, the blood is very important to God. And then he says, but I want to remind you, what I spent three years telling you night and day, watch out for false doctrine. It's going to come from without. Some of it's going to come from your own selves. And this church has been here 135 years. There has been some false teachers that have affected us from the outside. And there have been some folks who affected us from the inside. And I don't know exactly why that happened. Some of them are not truly saved, I would assume. Some are people who have unfulfilled expectations. They're frustrated in their own life or their progress, and they start finding other teachers and have itching ears. And just what the Apostle Paul told Timothy when he says, here, here's how it's going to happen. That, that falling away, coming away from the truth, they will start giving heed. What does that mean to you, giving heed? Listening to seductive spirits. Satan is a spiritual being, and he ends, he sends spirits. It's like the fear is a spirit. Doubt is a spirit. And seductive spirits, and I think seductive things are just things that, that we're naturally, we get tired of standing out, and we want to blend in. We get tired of it. You, you don't want the stigma. I don't want the stigma. There's just, there's things in our life, and as you get older sometimes, and I, I've been trying to evaluate this, I, I really want to just check me, because I want to make sure that I finish strong with the Lord. I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I'd like to be consistent. I would like not to be bored with the basics. I'd like to finish strong with the Lord. I hope that's your desire. We oftentimes say this together. I hope you say it with me now. All of us. All the way. All of us, everybody, let's finish strong. How can I do that? I've got to be careful who I listen to. Giving heed to seductive spirits. Number two, doctrines of devil. Teaching that is laced truth with error. The devil knows better than to get you to t send you a sign and go, let's go worship Satan together. Nothing, I don't know anybody in this room who said, oh, yeah, I've been waiting to do this all my life. No. But he'll put, a little, he'll put a little bit of poison in the truth. He'll say, well, this is pretty good. I mean, that guy, he's a good guy. He says a lot of good things. But the, he's laced, and, and some of the teaching is laced with, with, with poison. And I don't know. I don't know if I can always detect that or not and can tell everybody else. Not everybody is a false prophet. But I think yeah, he's telling him, be careful. Because they're grievous wolves. And they'll get you by the juggler, and they'll take you down real quick. 
These are not things to mess around with. They're not like little coyotes just chipping at your heels. This is a, this is a serious, aggressive, uh, bad doctrine, false prophet, false teacher. And he'll get you by the throat and he'll take you all the way down. He said, you better watch him. Better watch him from outside. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you read. Be careful what blogs you listen to and read. Be careful your thoughts and your questions. Let me just tell you something. Uh, Satan is a good question answer. A question, uh, poses a lot of good questions. Not good questions, bad questions. You know, if thou be the son of God. Yea, hath God said. That's his way. Oh. You think you're the only fundamental, you think you're only Christians? You know, oh, you think, you think this matters, that matters, or, or whatever, whatever. I mean, the, the, the world loves to ask questions. The Satan loves to pose questions. They get you put in a corner and you say, oh, maybe I just really, the independent Baptist or, or conservative Christian living is just not the right one. We get all confused on that. By the way, I think you ought to ask the question. I like the questions that, that uh, we ask better than the questions that other people ask, quite frankly. And when you talk about the versions of the Bible, and boy, people want to throw out things. Oh, we didn't need another Bible. We need another version. And, 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 you know, well, what's wrong with this? I, I like the questions we ask better than the questions they ask. I like the answer to them. And they will talk about that another time. But nonetheless, he said, you better watch out. You better watch out from false teachers from without and false teachers from within. He said, I, I, I was passionate. You know, I cried. I got tears down my face telling you, don't go bad. Don't get caught up in false teaching. Now, these people didn't have the whole Bible like we have. You know, they, were, they didn't have it. They couldn't go to Ephesians. They couldn't go to the book of Revelation. They couldn't go to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. They wasn't formulated yet. And so a little bit more, I, I think they were a little bit more a suspect to that. But you and I can have the same thing. Boy, that's why we want to know the truth. And the truth keeps you free from hang-ups.